You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. The Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today and my tiny little nipples went to France. And Bruce Nolan. Yo, brethren, what up with thee? Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. Along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. That's right. Well, I guess this is official now. It's our sixth date. If, if, you've, if you've come around at this point and you've been with us on all five dates, and this is date number six... I mean, we're going steady. We're going steady. We're Absolutely. going steady. This is yeah. a this is a, this is serious. This is borderline exclusive. It's borderline Bruce exclusive. <laughs> How nice. Well, thank you very much first of all everybody for joining in and listening to us for this sixth round of our experiences on Buffalo Rumblings. We really appreciate all the kind words and feedback and all the good lovey-doveys that we've gotten from you guys. And we appreciate it so much that we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Surprise, surprise. We were going to keep doing it anyways. Ah, that's so funny. Last time I heard that, I laughed so hard I fell off my dinosaur. But (laughs) we do want to comment on a couple of things. First, thank you so much to all of the, the users and listeners who have left us reviews on the iTunes store. It actually, it, it legitimately makes a big difference in how we show up in search results when people are looking for Buffalo Bills content and all of that kind of stuff. So thank you for that. And to the one guy who gave us four stars and said, you should stop the sound bites. This is for you. I fart in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberry. In addition to that, it actually does have an emotional impact on you and I. I mean, we send each other screenshots mm-hmm. of these reviews going, oh my gosh, you know, somebody out there was listening. You know, and this this made an impact for this guy. This guy really likes it. This guy listens to us on his commute. And that really is a big deal. Today's conversation is going to be, I guess, if Sean McDermott was one of our parents, you know, obviously he was dad. I would have to say Brandon Bean would probably represent mom. Sure. Yeah. Terry Pagula would be the grandpa patriarch, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Brian Dable is the uncle who comes over a lot. Oh yeah. He, no, he's the cool uncle. He's the cool. He's uncle. the cool uncle who like shows up at your school plays when you're a kid 
and, and you, like, you super, like him. Yeah. You like him. You're like, oh man, he's like super invested. Like what, he throws the ball in the backyard with you. Like when like when Uncle Brian Dable comes over and he says, hey, you want to go get ice cream? You know you're going to go get ice cream and you're going to hit the arcade. Absolutely. And yeah. he's going to buy you the ice cream that your parents don't let you have, the large. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With sprinkles. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not a sprinkles guy. My wife is a massive sprinkles person. But, oh well, it takes all kinds, man. Yeah, it takes all kinds. But as you've guessed, we're going to talk about Brian Dable today, but we're not going to talk about Brian Dable in the extent where we're trying to go into understanding how he views the world like we did with Sean McDermott. But we do want to understand a little bit more about the offense that Brian Dable runs, how Josh Allen fits into it traditionally, how other teams have run it, and how quarterbacks have fit into it there. And this whole offensive system, which Brian Dable runs, is part of a an offensive tradition which has a name, right? Uh, it does. You, what, you share it. Earhart Perkins. Earhart Perkins. And Earhart is spelled... E-R-H-A-R-D-T. Yeah, and then Perkins is spelled the way you would think. Okay. So, you have studied up. I mean, you already knew a lot about Earhart Perkins, right? Yeah. It, it, it's not an uncommon offensive system. New. No. Okay. So, before we get into Earhart Perkins specifically, though, let's talk about Dable's career trajectory and what brought him to be the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills. So, take us through that, Bruce. All right. So, right off the bat, you're going to love this. William and Mary, 1997. Was he he there at the same time as He was not there at the same time. He was there right before Sean McDermott. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Okay. He was the restrictive earnings coach. I don't know what that means. We're going to move on. (laughs) He was a, a GA, a graduate assistant at Michigan State for two years, 98, 99. And then he jumped up to coach the Patriots. Boo! Boo! As a defensive coaching assistant. Defensive coaching assistant. That's important. Now, Michigan State head coach is tight with Bill Belichick. That's how that connection happened. So he jumps up. He becomes a defensive coaching assistant in New England from 2000 to 2001. Then he jumps over and becomes the wide receivers coach in New England. Goes from defensive assistant to wide receivers coach. This is where the foundational pieces start to fill in for his offensive system. He leaves and goes to the Jets in 2007. So he's at the New England Patriots for much for longer than anywhere else. And he, that's where the kind of foundational roots start to take place. He goes to the Jets as the quarterbacks coach, seven and eight. And those were interesting times in the New York Jets quarterback room. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Chad Pennington, Kellen Clemens, Brett Favre. Yeah. So, right. yeah, I mean, you know, basically the same. I mean, Chad Pennington and Brett Favre. Could you possibly go from two opposite quarterbacks from Pennington to Brett Favre? Well, I don't mind that Dable has a little bit of history with Brett Favre. Honestly. I know how I know how you feel about Brett Favre. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. We'll move on. Then he went to Cleveland as an offensive coordinator for two years, 9 and 10. Then he went to Miami in 11 as an OC. Then he goes to Kansas City in 12 as an OC. Then he comes back to the Patriots as an offensive assistant. Just kind of, hey, we're going to find room for you, but we don't really have a position coach available. So we're just going to kind of bring you on as a generic offensive assistant. He was there in 13. Then... He was the tight ends coach from 14 to 16. He goes to Alabama. He's a co-offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach at Alabama at 17. Then he comes to the Bills in 18. So he's got some significant experience as an OC with the Browns, the Dolphins, 
the Chiefs. Yeah, this is his fourth stint as an OC. As an OC. And then a position coach with the Patriots and the Jets and the and then the Patriots. Wide receivers, again. then the Jets quarterbacks, and the Patriots tight ends. Interesting. Okay, so he's kind of been all over the ball all over the offensive side of the ball, but initially did start as a defensive assistant. Yeah. Okay. What of that is interesting to you? What of that it tells us something that you might be referring to later in this conversation? The fact that he keeps getting jobs, I think, matters. I think that's interesting to me. When he got hired as the Bills offensive coordinator, the first thing people pointed out who were detractors was he's literally never presided over a high-ranked offense, ever. Now, there were some decent rushing attacks, but he's never presided over a really high-impact passing offense, ever. So people would say, well, you know, does he have it in him to preside over a, a passing offense that's significant? The other thing that's significant, to me anyway, is the Earhart Perkins. It's the EP. Mostly because it is, it's what they run in New England. And everyone, of course, is fascinated by that. Because it's the language they speak in Boston. Okay, well, let's let's now make a shift and go into Earhart Perkins before we come back to Dable on the Bills and that version of Earhart Perkins with our roster and everything. Earhart Perkins came about when? 1970s, ironically enough, New England Patriots. Boo! Boo! Totally different regime, obviously. Yes. Ron Earhart and Ray Perkins, they both worked under Chuck Fairbanks when he was the coach at New England. And their kind of offensive system and their offensive terminology kind of grew into this. What was offensive football in the NFL like before Earhart Perkins? Right before, what was it looking like? So this is a big deal. And if you only remember one thing from this podcast, please remember this one. A long time ago in the NFL, you could tell what something would look like on the field by listening to how it sounded off the field. Allow me to elaborate on this. Play calls sound different You've often heard people describe getting a new offensive language like learning another foreign language, like going from Spanish to English or English to Chinese or things like that, Mandarin, you know? And that's actually a pretty good metaphor. It used to be that the offensive language you spoke would manifest itself in the plays on the field. If you spoke West Coast, you were going to see a specific type of play on the field. Because this is what the West Coast offense sounded like, and this is what the West Coast offense looked like. That's what offensive football looked like in the 1970s, in the 1960s. It was, well, I can tell what the offense is going to look like by how it sounds. And I know full well that if I have Air Coryell, for example, the Air Cor Don Coryell offense from the San Diego Chargers. With Dan Fouts. With Dan Fouts, right? That was a system that utilized a route tree, and it had a route tree in numbers. So you would call a pass play, and it would have like 896 in it. One person's running the 8 route, next person's running the 9 route, one person's running the 6 route. That was how it worked. Here's the problem. There are more than 10 routes. So now you have to call out names of routes. So now it starts to get super wordy. Because it, you, you, you designed it to be super shorthand. But now when you have a, a specified route or you have option routes, you have things like this, now you have to start calling out names. The West Coast 
had a memorization system where you would call out the primary receiver's route, uh, ZN, X hook, or whatever it was. And you would just have to know, if you're not the primary receiver, you'd have to memorize, okay, when Z hook, then I'm running this. Well, that's not a really great system either. So they started calling them out by, by routes. Well, then that becomes really, really wordy because you have four receivers on the field at a single time. You got to understand, when a lot of these things existed, you only had two receivers in a pass pattern. You didn't have five wides. That wasn't a thing in the 50s. So now, all of a sudden, as you start to spread the field a little bit more, these play calls start to get super wordy and really troubling. This is an actual play call. Scatter two, bunch right, zip fire two, jet Texas, right F flat XQ. That is an actual play call. In which system? It sounds like a West Coast call to me, but I don't really know. Okay. The point is it gets really, really, really verby. Like super, super long. And Grantland did an unbelievable article on this a couple years back that I boned up on when I was getting ready for this pod. I would encourage you all to go back and find it. We'll link to that in the podcast description. You put that in context, and now you've got four, five, six routes you have to call in a play call, and it becomes just incredibly wordy. And it becomes difficult to just call the plays. So the thing that Earhart and Perkins did that separated them from everybody else was they introduced the the idea that instead of calling routes individually, instead you would call concepts. This is what makes EP right here. This is what makes it different. You're not calling, okay, the X guy is going to run this route, the Y guy is going to run this route, the Z guy is going to run. You're not saying that. You're calling a concept. And what you're doing is you're creating a link to a picture in the player's brains when you call a concept. Give you a great example. Shout tosser. These are two concepts. So if you hear at the end of your play call, you're the receivers, and you're waiting to the end of the play call because the first part of the play call might be the formation base, and then you have positioning in motion. You're like, okay, got to pay attention to that. And then there's a protection call, and you don't care about that because you're wide receiver. And then they have shout tosser. Okay, great. So that means people on one side of the formation are going to use shout, and the people on the other side of the formation are going to use tosser. So when I say tosser to you, you go, okay, that's double slants. I know what that is. It's double slants. Because in your not, head. Not when you say that to me, but to an NFL player, hypothetically, right? Right. So this was this was revolutionary at the time. The idea that you you didn't have to, I should just shout tosser. I used two words and I called, called four routes with two words. Shout tosser. So now people on one side of the formation go, oh yeah, I'm doing shout. Okay, great. People... On the other side, go, oh, I'm doing tosser. So now, this idea that instead of calling routes individually, you call them in concepts. Because routes very rarely are designed just haphazardly. It's not like you're just drawing it in the dirt, going, okay, well, you're going to go, you're going to get a fly route, and then you're going to get a dig route. No, no, they're designed to work together against specific coverages and things like that. So you don't have to call them individually. You can call them in pairs. You can call them in if you have a bunch to one side and you have three receivers to one side and you say a specific word, there's a word associated with a bunch formation, three receivers to one side, route combination. I can say this one word, whatever that word is, 
And all three receivers are going to go, oh, yeah, I know what that looks like. We've seen that on the whiteboard, right? You saw it on the screen. Oh, I know what that is. This was revolutionary at the time. The idea that we could call plays zero flood slot hat, 78 shout tosser. That's a lot better than scatter two bunch right zip fire two jet Texas right F flat XQ. I said zero, which is the formation base and the personnel. Flood slot hat, which is positioning in motion. 78, which is the protection and the drop. And then shout tosser, which is the route combinations. That's a lot better. That's a lot better. So, okay. Very good. I have I have more questions about Earhart Perkins and its foundation. Sure. So what, what you have described so far is that Earhart Perkins is an adjustment to the language and it is creating brevity in what the quarterback says in the huddle and what the quarterback has to remember and what everybody needs to listen to as they're calling the play, right? Yeah, it's all languages. It used to be not a language. Offensive systems used to be just that, systems. They're not anymore. They're just languages. This is really important. What's the difference between a system and a language? A language is just the way you, method by which you're communicating the information, right? The, the system is the actual playbook. So it used to be that a West Coast offense had a West Coast playbook. And if you, if you spoke in West Coast, West Coast language, I knew what the playbook was going to look like. That's not the case anymore. Sean McVay uses the West Coast playbook. I don't know if you know this or not. That ain't a Bill Walsh offense that they're using out there in Los Angeles. It's just a language now. And this is really important. Now, offensive you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, viewers. Offensive systems are just languages. That's it. Okay. That's all they are. I, it used to be different. It used to be that an offensive system told you the types of plays you could expect to run. That right there. What you just said was my connotation going into this conversation. My connotation was that the Air Coriel system was or the Air Coriel offense was going to have a certain look to it. It was going to be a lot of deep throws. It was going to be be a lot of air under the ball. It was going to be looking down the field and 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 moving in a vertical offense. The Steve Spurrier, what is that? The running uh, the fun, fun and shoot, fun and shoot, or fun and gun, fun or and whatever, gun, yeah. yeah, whatever they're called. And then you get Kevin Gilbride get the run and shoot offense. Yeah, then you've right. got Kevin Gilbride's version of that, which is an offshoot. Then you've got the West Coast offense, which is go down the field in six or seven yard increments with a lot of short passes. Horizontal. Yeah. A lot of short, easy, horizontal plays for the quarterback. Not a lot of air yards, not throwing the ball down the field. That is a type of offense. I was under the impression that Earhart Perkins also had a type. Nobody has a type anymore. So in current offensive football with the NFL as it is, you can learn little to nothing about what the playbook will look like based on the language. Now, it could look traditional, right? It could look like the way the archetypes have historically looked. You could have someone who comes in from an Air Coriel offense and it looks like the greatest show on turf, right? It's minimum protection. It's five guys in the routes. It's long seven-step drops. It has all those hallmarks. It could, but there's no guarantee it will. This is the metaphor. You have three families. One of them is Mexican, one of them is German, and one of them is Kenyan. And they speak their uh, appropriate languages. They speak Spanish. They speak German. They speak Swahili. Those are the things they speak. 30 generations from now, those three families and their descendants might still speak those languages, 
but they won't look like their ancestors did because they've, you have 30 generations of mixing genetics, right? And they might speak Swahili and not look anything like their great, 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 grandparents. This is the metaphor that I use. So yes, the languages could sound like the way Bill Walsh said it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look like Bill Walsh's offense. Doesn't mean you're running a horizontal pass offense. Exactly. So it might, you might do that. But you can't guarantee it's going to look like that. When Earhart Perkins came out, it was a smash mouth offense. That's what it was, right? I don't know if you know this or not, but the Patriots Boo! Boo! have looked like 60 different things all running the same offense. It's the same language as it's always been with the Patriots, but it's looked like seven different things. The language itself does not guarantee it's going to look a certain way on the field. This is why I said, if you only remember one thing from this pod, you cannot guarantee you will know what something looks like by knowing what it sounds like. So the fact that Sean McVay uses West Coast terminology doesn't mean that he's running the tr- what we would connotatively think of the West Coast offense looking like. Absolutely. Because Brian Dable or Josh McDaniels are running the Earhart Perkins offense, in 2019, that does not mean it would look like the traditional Earhart Perkins offense. Okay, well, I'm interested because we're talking about it. I am interested in the traditional Earhart Perkins offense. So cut. it was it was smash mouth. That's what it was. It was a smash mouth power running system. And it was shorter horizontal routes. It was a grinded out sort of an offense. Now, time of possession? Yeah, it was a time of possession grinded out offense. Now, of course... It was the 1970s. Everything was a grinded out offense in the 1970s until John Coriel came along and changed the game. But Earhart Perkins was the was the offensive system for the Super Bowl Giants that beat the Bills. It was the it was the offense for the Steelers Super Bowl where they lost to the Cowboys with Neil O'Donnell. That's where Earhart and Perkins were under Chuck Fairbanks in New England in the 70s. They overlapped a little briefly in New York Giants for a brief second there. But it's just a language now. They're all just languages now. West Coast is just a language. Coriel, just a language. Earhart Perkins, just a language. I don't know if you know this or not, but our offense doesn't look like the Patriots' offense. And our offense at the beginning of last year with Peterman did not look like our offense at the end of last year. We didn't change the language. There's no need for you to have a specific playbook based on your language. Just because you sound a certain way doesn't mean your offense has to look a certain way. That's not the case anymore. So if we were to change offensive coordinators, the main thing for me would be, can we keep the terminology? Can we keep the language? Just because Josh Allen's used to that language. It doesn't, the playbook thing, that's a whole different, the playbook style and the playbook size and the plays that are called and the timing of the plays that are called completely separate things to consider regarding that stuff as opposed to the language that's really really interesting to me so that actually calms some of my fears because i have a i have a i have a irrational fear that i'm putting the cart way before the horse that brian dable should we have any success with josh allen running the offense that ultimately we are going to lose him to a head coaching job. And when we lose him, we're going to lose some of our offensive assistant coaches. And then we're going to bring in somebody else. And 
not necessarily am I worried about that person being a good or bad play caller, and I should be. I, admittedly, I, I, that would be a worry. But what I'm more worried about is that not only do we have to worry about that, we now have to ask the players to relearn everything about how the offense is called, about the terminology that's used and all of that. But you're suggesting that if you bring somebody in who could have a totally different flavor as far as the kind of offense they run, but they may use the Earhart Perkins language terminology and language, the players don't have to learn anything as far as that's concerned. They just have to learn maybe how to execute these different plays that they weren't asked to execute frequently under Brian Dable. Exactly. And this is losing an offensive coordinator is still, you know, a big deal, but this idea that Earhart Perkins is going to be a zone-based running scheme or it's going to be a man-based running scheme, it's, it doesn't have to be any of that stuff. It could be. You could get somebody who comes in here and speaks the same language and really prefers inside-outside zone, and that's just what they do. The point is they don't have to do anything. Just because something sounds like EP doesn't mean it has to look like anything. And that's something, as, as, as we try to increase our knowledge base as a fan base, we need to understand that, especially when coaches give us this like he didn't fit in my system. This is why this stuff matters. Oh, he's not a fit in the system. No, what he means is that you like doing a specific thing as far as you like doing a specific play call and he doesn't do that well or you didn't teach him to do that well. That's what they really mean by that. Because this idea that your offense has to look a specific way, this is, this is for the old guard. This is for 90s football and 80s football and 70s football. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. It shouldn't. If you hire a an offensive coordinator who says, no, you know, we're going to come in here and it's going to be a West Coast system and we're going to be foundationally West Coast, that's fine. But they're doing that because that's what they're comfortable with. They're, they don't have to. There's nobody holding a gun to their head, making their offense look a specific way because of the terminology that they use. Doug Peterson is a West Coast guy. Andy, Andy Reid is a West Coast guy. Have you looked at the Chiefs' offense recently? The Chiefs have one of the most progressive offenses in football for the last couple of years because Andy Reid keeps adding stuff to it. The RPOs and the options and all that stuff like this. The terminology is still West Coast. But it's a Bill Walsh ain't walking through that door, baby. It's Big Red. You're getting Big Red walking through that door. And it, yeah, the terminology sounds like West Coast, but Andy Reid's offense in Kansas City doesn't look anything like Doug Peterson's offense. It looks a little like Matt Nagy's offense. In but Chicago. In Chicago. The Bears. The Bears. But it doesn't look like Sean McVay's offense, but it's all the same terminology. Okay. Well, let's pump the brakes real quick. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do that, I want to touch base on a couple of things that we have dropped in that are somewhat wonky football terminology. Just for anybody who's listening to this, and, and I think I'm afraid that sometimes we might be speeding past some people. Some people are like, dude, I know all this. This is so boring. That's fine. We also want to help anybody who's maybe feels a little bit left behind. So first thing that we said that was maybe, you know, terminology is route tree, which is basically a route tree, my understanding, and then you can add to it. My understanding of a route tree is that it is the encyclopedia of routes that that a wide receiver is expected to run in the offense. You could, you know, you're going to leave the you're going to leave the line of scrimmage and you're going to go in a certain direction, you're going to cut in a certain way, you're going to take a certain number of steps and and do all that stuff, right? It is all of the routes that you are asked to run. Yeah, if you draw a straight line on a piece of paper vertically 
and then you draw from that straight line all of the breaks that would turn that line into other routes. You know, if you don't break at all, it becomes a go route or a fly route or whatever you want to call it, right? You can break in really short, it'd be a slant. You could break in, you know, at a 45 degree angle, it becomes an in. If you break out, it becomes an out. You know, if you draw out all those lines, it looks like a tree. That's where that concept comes from, route tree. Not all, stupid question, not all wide receiver routes, though, start with a with a player going forward in a direction, right? Correct. So, so it could sound like a, it could look like a route tree, or hypothetically, because they don't go straight, you know, the first few steps, they might potentially just go directly to the right or the left. It could even be like a route shrub. A shrubbery. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why I said that the idea behind the Air Coriel offense that you can call out these numbers, it works great as long as it's one of the zero through nine routes. What if you want to want to run a route that's not on the route tree? That doesn't exist in that nice little world, right? Now you have to call it by name, which adds more verbiage, which defeats the purpose of you using numbers to begin with. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's one. Two, we said RPO. Run pass option. It's a play that can be either a run play or a pass play based on a look and a read that a quarterback is given. It might look on the front end like it is a zone read where a quarterback will put the ball in the gut of the running back and will be re- uh, reading a particular defensive end typically to determine whether to hand it to him or to pull it back and run a keeper. A RPO is like that, only your options are not give the ball to him or run it yourself. Your options are give the ball to him or throw it to a specific guy. You're reading, you're keying is the word, you're keying off a specific player on the defense whether that's a defensive end or a linebacker. And if they go, it's, it makes a binary choice for a quarterback. One of the reasons why it's so great and one of the reasons why it's so prevalent now is because it creates really simple binaries for the quarterback. Left or right. Give or throw. And it simplifies the game for the quarterback, which allows them to play really fast. Okay, so we're going to dig into this real quick because I'm interested. With a run-pass option, is the person that the quarterback... The quarterback is the one who makes this decision. Only the quarterback, right? Yes. The the quarterback puts the... Fakes the run to the running back. The running back should not just say, I'm taking this mother... And going, right? That would be... That would be a quick way to get benched, yes. Okay, okay. So they're not doing that. Okay. So... When the quarterback is doing this run-pass option, they're typically looking, you use the examples of a linebacker or a defensive end. Is it typically one of those two players? Yes. Okay. And they are looking for them to have done what? Beat their man or to be in a certain position? They're or- looking for them to make a decision. The linebacker has to commit to something or the defensive back has to commit to something. So if you put the ball in the gut of the running back, the linebacker has to make a call. Are they going to step up? to take that running back and to commit to the run? Or are they going to step back in their zone or step over into their coverages? They have to do something. So whatever they do, you're going to do the other thing. So if they step up, you're going to throw it. If they step back or over, you're going to hand it off. Okay. As a defensive player, what are you coached to do in that circumstance? You're coached to... So when I was playing football, RPOs were not as common as they are now. Right. So what I imagine that they're coached to do now at this point is to try to stay philosophically neutral as much as possible. Because if you overcommit, you know it's going to come back to you. A lot of this is where games come into play. You might recognize this and take a step forward, like kind of almost jab step it like you're in the NBA. 
knowing full well that if you jab step it, the quarterback's going to throw it. But if you jab step it and then backpedal, you could potentially get back in that throwing lane. So it's almost like the linebacker is playing games with the quarterback who's also playing games with them. Games? Yeah, I was just playing a game with you. Love games? That's right. Love games, Greg. If that makes sense when I say that, I'm trying as best as possible to keep this as elementary as... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the quarterback, let me just summarize. I'm going to repeat what I heard you say so I make sure we're on the same page. The quarterback is watching the linebacker in this hypothetical situation. The quarterback is looking at the linebacker and they're faking the run. And they want to know if the if the uh, linebacker is going to commit to the run, in which case they're going to pull the ball out of the stomach and make a pass hypothetically and take advantage of the linebacker making that choice. Vice versa, if the linebacker doesn't seem to give a shit that you're going to run the ball, you're going to let him run the ball and hopefully the running back can take advantage of the fact that the linebacker was maybe out of position. Correct. Simultaneously, on the defensive side of the ball, the linebacker would maybe perhaps be aware. Oh, this might be a run pass option. He might be reading me. I'm going to look like I'm committed to the run and then I'm going to get my ass back where I need to be in pass coverage so that if he does read my jab step, I can take I can get an opportunity at an interception. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and then we will come right back and go from there. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. On this, our sixth date on Buffalo Rumblings. We're so nice to see you, sweetheart. We love that you're here. Okay, before we get back in to all of this talk about the offensive system and Earhart Perkins and whatnot, I do want to give everybody a preview for what is coming in the very near future from Nick and Nolan. Bruce is nervous. I'm very nervous. (laughs) My stomach is nervous. We're doing something very, very different. So it is the dog days of summer. We've been doing our very best to give you good football content during this time where there's really no Bills news, which is a good thing. No news is good news because it's people who are getting in trouble with the law and suspensions and all kinds of nonsense that comes out right now. But what we are doing is we are taking a trip to Buffalo, the homeland, the motherland, Bruce has never lived in Buffalo. I did, admittedly, only until I was three. But I've been back my entire life over numerous extended periods of time because all of my family, all of my extended family live there. So I have partaken and know well all of the regional food favorites of Buffalo. Things like the best wings or places that claim to have the best wings. The Stinger Sub. Pizza Logs. Beef on Weck. 
the garbage plate, some of the great pizza spots of Buffalo, Ted's hot dogs, right? I, I have had all of these things in the past. And I have had none of these. And these Bruce has had none of them. All I can do right now is put on a brave face. So we are taking a trip up to Buffalo and we are going to record on our way up there and as we partake these things and Bruce gets his first experience, his first bites into some of these wonderful mouthwatering Buffalo foods. And not only that, we are going to be doing it with some people that I think you guys probably know pretty well. People like Del Reed from 26 Shirts, people like Matt Perino from NewYorkUpstate.com, people like Marcel Louis-Jacques, who you might not know very well yet, but you will because he's the new ESPN beat reporter. People like Rockpile Report, Chris and Drew, and Kyle Trimble from Banged Up Bills. People like Tim Graham from The Athletic. That one I do have to hedge just a little bit because we're waiting for a couple of things to fall, but everything looks good that we are going to be hanging out with Tim Graham while we're up there. And people like Mr. Aaron Quinn, friend of the pod from Cover One. We are going to be spending time with all of these people, eating all of these different kinds of awesome buffalo foods, and Bruce is going to be sharing his experience as he partakes in the glory, or perhaps not. He doesn't have to like everything. (laughs) I'm just kidding, but seriously. But we're really excited about doing that. So just want to give everybody a heads up and take a few seconds to tell you that that is what's coming in the next weeks for this podcast, then training camp will start. I'm sure we're going to get back into football content. It depends entirely how much we record and what I have to edit and put together for you, our wonderful listeners. But we're getting you a very special gift for our seventh date. So we hope that you enjoy it. And now let's get back to the football talk. So we were in, we were knee deep, maybe waist deep into the X's and O's during that last segment. We are going to step out of that because admittedly, that is probably not our comfort zone. Would you say? Yeah, we know enough to be dangerous in that space. And that's about it. Right. Yeah. So if we got anything wrong with a nuance or a detail, you could feel free to let us know if it makes you feel better. But that we we understand that that is not our that is not our skill set necessarily. If if you are into that, we will plug friends of the pod which is would be cover 1. I mean, Eric uh, Turner, who is the the lead guy over at Cover One, wrote an article, I think, when Dable was originally hired, that was about Earhart Perkins and some of the things you might be able to expect from that. We will also link to that in our show notes. So we have the Grantland story from Chris Brown, I think. Not Bill's Chris Brown, different Chris Mm -hmm. Brown. And then also... Uh, to Eric Turner over at Cover One and some of the some of the cool stuff they do, but that I mean, if you want X's and O's and you want to get into that with some real accuracy, that's the place to go. So what we are going to move back to now is just some big picture stuff about Earhart Perkins. I, I, I'm going to ask some questions that I think you've already answered, but because I was not familiar, I, I want to just double check. So would you describe Earhart Perkins as revolutionary? Yeah. I would. But it was revolutionary. When my understanding is it was not revolutionary in what the offense looked like on the field. It was revolutionary in how the offense was communicated in the terminology. You are 100% correct. Okay. Okay. And that would lean it, that would lend itself to why the Patriots, who run the Earhart Perkins offense, look so freaking different all the time. Also, why the Patriots were able to run no huddle so well is because they actually further simplified this into one or two word concepts. 
Brady could literally yell, Tabitha, Tabitha, Tabitha. And everyone go, oh, yeah, Tabitha. Yeah, good. I know Tabitha. Because in their heads, they knew what Tabitha looked like on a in a concept level. Oh, Tabitha. Oh, got it. Tabitha. Okay, so you could, I mean, I don't know if this is what you're saying, but hypothetically, you could have what whoever's on the field right now, whatever skill set, whatever arrangement of wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs are on the field. If he says Tabitha in a no huddle, you know, okay, if we run Tabitha with this particular arrangement of players, it looks like this. Yeah. That's what he's running. Pretty period. much. Period. Okay, well, that's interesting. Um, so it's so popular now. I, my understanding is that several teams run an Earhart Perkins offense. Oh, yeah. Is it the most popular off quote-unquote offense? I would say no. Okay. I think West Coast terminology is still prevalent okay. in the NFL. I am biased. So th- now I'm putting on my personal opinion hat now. I personally find it preferable. My personal, as someone who coached football and someone who played football, I prefer this method because I think from a, just from a psychological standpoint, it is easier to understand concepts than I think a lot of coaches gave you credit for. I think that if, if I tie your understanding to shout tosser, I think that's easier to remember then trying to go, wait, hold on. So I'm the X receiver and they said X digs. So now I run a dig. Okay, got it. If I just say tosser and go, oh, okay, tosser, I know what tosser looks like. You know what those concepts are supposed to look like on the whiteboard. And so therefore I can go out and execute them. Okay. So there wouldn't necessarily be quote unquote different kinds of Earhart Perkins because Earhart Perkins doesn't indicate any actual kind of offense on the field. It's just language. Right. So whenever people say, like, we hired Earhart Perkins, and you would tell somebody that, if that person knew how Earhart Perkins worked, they'd be like, well, that doesn't tell me anything. Right. Like like I said, the big point coming out of this is just because you know how something sounds doesn't guarantee that you know how it looks. Mm. Earhart Perkins can look 90 different ways. Well, sh- Whenever I asked you if we could do this kind of an episode on Earhart Perkins, I thought I was going to get and we will get to it, I'm sure. But I thought that the the system itself was going to tell us what kind of offense Brian Dable runs. And what did I tell you via text when you said that to me? You told me that that might not work the way I thought. And I said, no, that'll be fine. (laughs) I said my answer. He was like, don't tell me, Bruce. Don't tell me at all. I don't want to know. And I was like, no, no, you don't understand. My answer to your question is going to invalidate the rest of your questions. He's like, no, it won't. It'll be fine. No, it's not fine, Nick. It's fine. It is fine. Okay, we're going to be fine. Okay, so, all right. So, have we ever had a person who ran Earhart Perkins in the past? Not to my knowledge. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. Okay. We may have, but I went through the OCs and none of them stuck out at me as someone who... Yeah, somebody who did. Somebody might that, have, but okay. Trade. Not that we know of. But even if we did, we would maybe be able to look at it and say, well, it doesn't matter because it's just terminology. Okay. I'm beating, just a language. I'm beating this to death. Stop! <laughs> He's already dead. Okay. So, is there anything about Earhart Perkins that you would consider a weakness? Not intrinsically, no. I, I don't think... The weaknesses for these things really come in your terminology in the pass game. Because run plays are easy to call. They always, In all systems, run plays are easy to call. It's when you get into pass plays where things start to get a little tricky on you. So when you get into pass plays, some of these things are hamstrung by their wordiness. right? John Gruden was famous for that episode of Gruden's QB camp with Cam Newton, where Gruden called out this ridiculous West Coast play, because Gruden's, of course, a West Coast guy, 
a ridiculous West Coast play. Flip right double X jet, 36 counter naked waglet, 7X quarter. That was like 15 words long. And Cam Newton looked at him like he was speaking French. And everyone, my favorite part was the big takeaway from this episode was, oh man, Cam Newton's not going to be able to handle the complexities of an NFL offense. That's the wrong takeaway. The takeaway is, holy crap, Cam Newton was the most dominant player in college football and won a national championship with one-word play calls. What are we doing wrong in the NFL? You just blew my mind. That should have been the takeaway. Yeah. But these, these coordinators, these old guard of offensive minds in the NFL just refuse to adapt. And so this is where you get these cutting-edge offensive people who become head coaches. It's not because they did Sean McVay's laundry. It's because they're not tied to these idiotic concepts that play calls have to be 37 words long. And that makes it easier for their players to play faster. This is why when you see college football and you see them look over to the sidelines and there's a picture of Bob Dole and they're holding up a picture of Bob Dole and right next to Bob Dole, there's a picture of an orange. And right next to that, there's a picture of, you know, Azerbaijan on the cards. And you're like, what, what is this? You shouldn't think that that's ridiculous and elementary. You should think that that's progressive and awesome. And the NFL needs to get off their freaking butts and do something smarter and not be tied into the old man gentleman's club, mm. the old boys club who keeps regurgitating the same 37 word play calls and bogs things down for their offenses. Yeah. Not I, that I have an opinion on it or anything. Well, you know, it's interesting because I always would watch college football and college football offenses and think too simple, can't work in the NFL. The skill, the, the reason that it's working in the college game is because of the significant gap of talent on the offensive side of the ball versus for, for a college offense versus a college defensive side of the ball. I, I'm admitting that that's my perspective. Doug Peterson and Andy Reid would disagree with you. Okay. And that's Nagy would disagree with you. And I think that they have proven enough that we should listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that what I always used to think with those, with those pictures is that they weren't putting in the time to teach the players how to do whatever they ought to do. And that's one of the reasons why I was always so interested in a quarterback like Josh Rosen, because he came from a quote unquote, a pro style offense, which I'm assuming that included vocabulary, not just concepts of, of what you run on the field, but it would have run, it would have included that he was running a, a, an offense where the playbook and the vocabulary was of similar complexity to the NFL. Yes. Jim Mora, the coach at UCLA at the time ran a West coast offense. So Rosen's used to the terminology, but that only matters if you're going to force him to use that terminology in the NFL, which you shouldn't be doing to begin with. This idea that he came from a pro-style offense, that stuff, here's where it actually matters. Did the quarterback call protections? Did the quarterback call audibles? Was the quarterback responsible for any of that stuff? That's why it matters. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't anyway. Shouldn't matter because he was used to calling 37-word plays. The next question, most logical, is why are you using 37-word plays? Boom. Roasted. The pro-style offense thing should matter from a perspective of did the quarterback call audibles? Did he have to call protections at the line of scrimmage? If he saw a blitz, was he allowed to check out of it? That's what matters at a pro-style thing. What shouldn't matter is, oh, yeah, 37-word play calls? Yeah, I totally got that nailed. Because that shouldn't matter because you shouldn't be doing that in the NFL. Okay, okay. So this is this is literally a perspective shift for me. So I'm going to try, I'm going to again, I'm going to try to say, I'm going to try to synthesize what you said and, and repeat some version of it. Whenever we're thinking about 
quarterbacks coming out of college to the NFL and we're evaluating whether or not they can hypothetically make the jump, right? Of course, we care about the straight up physical aspect of it. Can they make the throws? Can they do all that stuff? One of the things I have always been sold on, like you, you, you drop a couple of these phrases and now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's the quarterback I want would be that they would run a pro style. They would either run a pro style offense or they have an NFL style playbook. One of those, one of those two, which are really the same thing, right? So if they did that in my mind, that meant that when they came to the NFL mentally, they would be able to comprehend what is going to be asked of them. And it sounds like the NFL could perhaps say, well, it's, it doesn't have to be that complicated. If you get a certain offensive coordinator, if you're unlucky enough, perhaps, to have a certain offensive coordinator, then you do have to have a significant mental capacity to understand that stuff. If you wind up in, with John Gruden, then maybe you need that, right? Yeah. But if you are working with a an offensive coordinator or an offensive head coach who is going to institute a certain kind of system that does err on the side of simplicity then you that that's not a huge worry. Like, let's say, so it's Dole, Orange, and the Eiffel Tower, right? Okay, well, guess what? If you tell Josh Allen in the headset, Dole, Orange, Eiffel Tower, he can probably walk into the huddle and say those things, right? You don't need to have it on the side of the sideline with a picture, right? He, he could do that. Okay, so that's not, a, that's not really the concern anymore. How common is this is this is not necessarily what I expect to talk about, but how how common is it for a college quarterback to call his own protections and to have audible responsibilities and the autonomy to go through all that? Uncommon. Is there a person who came out recently that did? Yes. Josh Rosen. Yes. Josh Allen. Both of them did. So Josh Allen had that responsibility at Wyoming. Yeah. Okay, well, that makes me feel... At least according to his according to his coach, he did. According to his coach, sure. Okay. Well, in general, that makes me feel a lot better about Josh Allen coming in because I thought that there was some concerns about the simplicity of his offense at Wyoming as well. Now, obviously, I wasn't that into the scouting reports. I'm just taking what people are giving me as far as information out in the Twitter sphere and whatever. If there's a concern about a quarterback's simple offense in college tying them down when they get to the NFL, my argument would be that you need to fix that in the NFL. And and you should evaluate less the concern about the offense that they're running and more about does that offense give them the autonomy to call protections and audibles. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, good. This is this is helpful. Okay. Well, let's let's bring it all the way back to well, you know what? We'll take a break. We're going to take a break real quick. Then we're going to bring it all the way back to Uncle Brian Dable. <laughs> And actually talk about his offense and what he does and all that stuff. So we'll be right back with you. Welcome back, everybody. This is Nick Bat here at the Nick and Nolan Show along with Bruce Nolan. And as tradition, our second break intro is sloppy. So we will move on. <laughs> okay, so back to Uncle Brian Dable. In the very beginning, we talked about he runs the Earhart Perkins system. I asked you what that meant, expecting that it was going to tell me what kind of offense he runs. You said it doesn't mean anything about the offense he runs. It's just the language in which he calls plays. We talked about that for a long time. I still would like to know <laughs> anything you can tell me about about Brian Dable. So he comes from the history and the, the lineage of the Patriots offensive system that they run and everything that Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady have stomped us to death with over the past 20 years. Boo! Boo! 
I, I'm correct about that. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So, is there anything that we do know about Brian Dable as far as preferences and what he does want to do inside of the Earhart Perkins language when he runs offense? I don't know. And I'll tell you why I don't know. Because the offense at the beginning of last year did not look like the offense at the end of last year. At the end of last year, it looked like air raid. It looked like, again, plug for cover one. There was an article about how there was so many differences between the beginning of last year and the end of last year because Dable basically said, you know what? We got no protection. We got no run game. So what we're going to do is we're going to put four receivers on the field, sometimes five. We're going to send them all out in the routes. Josh Allen's going to go one, two, three, run. Because if I wanted to do anything else, it wouldn't hold up. So this is why, quite frankly, I don't really know. I mentioned on a pod a couple weeks ago that we're going to find out this year if Dable was calling those plays out of preference or out of desperation. (laughs) I'm going to be really interested to see what it looks like this year. Is it going to look like two tight ends? Is it going to look like five wide? Is it because we know what he did? We know what he did. But we don't know why he did it yet. And as always, how and why are more important interrogatives than what? We know what he did. We can look on the field, watch the All-22. We go, okay, look, this is what we did. But I don't really know why he did it. Did he do it because he thinks that's the best thing for Josh Allen? Because of Josh Allen's particular set of skills? But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. But... (laughs) Did he do those things because he thought Josh Allen was just going to work better there and he'll continue to do that? Or did he do it because our offensive line was hot garbage? (laughs) That's that's a legitimate question. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, that's what I'm curious about. Do we know anything about Dable's preferences from his times at other teams? I don't think you can draw. You can look at those things and draw an idea. If you look at the quarterback play he had from those teams, um, you wonder how handcuffed he really was. So it looks like Brian Dable's offensive experiences, per your comment, were Cleveland. It was Brady Quinn, which was probably under Charlie Weiss. So under the uh, offensive system there, which is uh, the Earhart Perkins from New England. Uh Then in, in Miami... Primarily the Matt Moore show with also all former Buffalo Bills all-star J.P. Losman and Pat Devlin apparently got some time while he was in there, according to Pro Football Reference. And then in Kansas City, it was Matt Castle and Brady Quinn again. So, in, so you're starting to understand in, why in, I don't think we can we can judge in, a lot of that. In, in every circumstance, Brian Dable was probably desperate to try to put his quarterback in a position to succeed and never actually feeling like he could run whatever his preferences were right so we can we can make judgments on what someone did but we can't necessarily judge why they did it because we know for for a fact that was less than ideal circumstances so did he do what he did did he have good running offenses because quite frankly he didn't have a choice probably yeah okay do we have any idea? Okay, so let's just do guess. Let's just do some guessing. I'm, nobody can hold us to this. We're not going to tell anybody to keep the receipts because it's purely guessing. But I would be interested what data you have seen that indi- that that influences your opinion in any way. So, Brian Dable, you have said previously that you thought that he truly wants to run twenty-one personnel. 
Yes, that is my opinion. I think he does. So 21 personnel would lend itself to what? It would lend itself toward having a much more power run game, which I make an argument LaShawn McCoy might not be the best fit. LaShawn McCoy has not historically run super well with a fullback. That's just never, he didn't do it frequently. And so I think that's what he wants to run because I see that being, I mean, James Devlin in New England, if you ask Bill Belichick, he'll he'll wax poetic about Devlin, about that fullback. And he'll wax poetic about having a fullback who can do those things. I think that's what he wants to do. Now, if you are running a power run scheme, does that also indicate anything about what you want to do in the passing game? Historically, it means you want to play action. Okay. And do we think a we're connecting dots that may not be truly connected here, so that's fine. But do you think that a play-action style passing game is in Josh Allen's wheelhouse as of what, from what we know as of now? Yes. I think his feet are better when he has... We talked about this, I think. Maybe we did. Um, that his feet are better when he has that elongated seven-step drop off a of play-action. And we talked about that because his completion percentage was like eight points higher. Yes, I remember this now. I remember this now. It it, kind of builds in that because he's so tall and he has such a long stride that getting his feet underneath him is so much easier when he has a play action from under center as opposed to a shotgun and then pivot and move. His feet are just better. So I actually think it would behoove him to be under center and do more play action concepts because I think he can really get his... His feet underneath him, plus longer drop equals longer route. And Josh Allen does better on the longer throws. So, yes, I I think if I were looking at this logically, I would think that a power run game with a play action from under center would be a big part. It's not going to be all of it. NFL offenses are in the shotgun all the time now. You're not going to be under center 70% of the time. That's just not the way the modern NFL works. But if that can be a big part, a plurality maybe of what you do, I think that would behoove Josh Allen. And I don't, I think Brian Dable probably wants to do it. How does that mix with the success we saw Dable have last year? Maybe this is, maybe that's the wrong question. Actually, let me ask you a different question. What was it that the offense was doing last year that put Josh Allen in a position to be successful? We talked about it kind of a minute ago, but could could you break it down even more? Like we were doing lots of receivers we were doing deep passes, though, which would mean that we have to protect for longer, right? Unless you have a quarterback who's going to take off after the third read. Okay. Okay. So that was really the offense that we were running, which sounds like it might be kind of easy to stop. Could you not design a defense that is going to prioritize covering the the deep areas so you're taking away some of those throws. Sure, you can. But that's going to put your defenders farther back away from the line of scrimmage. And then okay? Josh Allen can pick up 12 yards Which he's going to pick up 12 yards he's going to eat you up on the run. Which means you need a spy, but that means you need a spy who's athletic enough to not get okie-doked by Josh Allen like Kiko Alonso did. And the tr- uh, truth be told, I mean, I always thought Kiko Alonso was a terrific athlete. He is. He's turning- Josh Allen is... <laughs> Josh Allen is a unique athlete for his size. Yeah. And when I say it, I'm just talking about his movement. Let's just ignore for a second... Okay, let's ignore for a second the 40 time and stuff like that. Josh Allen moves uniquely. You watch him 
Okie dokie Kiko Alonso, and you watch him swim over top of a defensive lineman in the Miami Dolphins game. Quarterbacks don't move that fluidly. Hurdle Anthony Barr. It's 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 not about the straight line speed, which is decent, which is a, a, a very decent you know part of Josh Allen's game. It's the fact that he moves. When you talk about someone being a good athlete, it's not just the timed stuff. It's about the fluidity by which he moves. And Josh Allen is an athletic dude. He moves like an athlete. He doesn't move like Tom Brady through molasses. He moves <laughs> well. And so it's it creates kind of a problem because if you spy him with a linebacker, he's a little shiftier than you think. And if you spy him with a defensive back, now you're either A, bringing somebody who should be covering a deep route down, or you're putting too many defensive backs on the field, which means we have a power run game for you. So... I get why Brian Dable did what he did. The fact that he did, I think, is incredibly endearing to me as a Bills fan going, listen, man, th- this is the chicken shit you've got to work with. Let's make some fucking chicken salad, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I completely agree with you on that. And I think that the concern for all fans is that that's not sustainable or it's incredibly risky because eventually Josh Allen isn't going to okey-doke the guy. Yeah. Or, you know, seven out of ten times he might okey-doke him, but three times he's going to get f-ing plastered. Yeah, pretty much. And I said that it's not sustainable in the long term, but it is sustainable in the short term. So I think this year we're going to start to answer the question, what does Brian Dable want to do? Because I don't think that the offensive line is going to be bad enough this year that it's going to handcuff him to something. It might not be all-star, but it's not going to be a whole lot worse than last year. I don't think the weapons are going to be so bad this year that it's going to handcuff him to certain things. What will Brian Dable do when the only thing holding him back is the fact that he's got a second-year quarterback? That's the question. And hypothetically, we're going to start putting Josh Allen into the positions where we're asking him to do at least piecemeal part of whatever Brian Dable's preferences are. Yeah. Okay. How much do you think Sean McDermott has an influence over what kind of offense we run? I don't think he has much. Okay. You think he just turns over the keys? I think he can has conceptualized. This is just my opinion. But I think he has a conceptual idea of, I want to do this kind of thing. I want to do this kind of thing. But I don't think he sticks his nose in it. Because Sean McDermott knows that that's not his, that's not where he lives. That's not, that's not the world he operates on. And so... Conceptually, he wants to do certain things. He wants to control the line of scrimmage. We talked about this before, right? Yes, yes. He wants to be able to have things change game plan to game plan. But this is all stuff when he says these things, I immediately think of Brian Dable anyway. Yeah. So I don't think, I think the marriage is actually really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I remember we, we specifically came to the... We came to the conclusion that Sean McDermott is not, I want my offense to look this way and I want to impose my will upon you. It is, I want to have an offensive system that can be diverse, which Earhart Perkins has a language which allows you to be diverse, right? I mean, it's supposedly all do, but it, that's chiefly how it's used in New England is as a, as a language system which runs very you know diverse looks depending on who you're playing against. So we, we can check that box. And now we just have to see if Brian Dable has any preferences that he wants to lean into that are going to put Josh Allen hopefully in a position to succeed and to scratch whatever itch he has for the offenses that he wants to run. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. All right. If you were in charge, 
So we're going to ask Bruce, the offensive coordinator now. So everything we've just said, you said you do like the Earhart Perkins language. I do. So that would probably stay the same. Mm-hmm. If you were in charge and your only responsibility was make Josh Allen successful with the roster that we have going into 2019, what would you do to put him in that position? The play calls would look almost identical to the back half of last year. But the change would be that your outlet, instead of one, two, three, run, it's one, two, three, Beasley. That would be the difference. And I I think that might have something to do with why they brought him in. So I think it should be one, two, three, Beasley. Interesting. Interesting. With that being the case, with Beasley kind of being the the outlet option, I'd that doesn't mean that he's necessarily slim pickings because there's probably going to be a lot of circumstances where it's breaking down and it's going to be one and a half Beasley, (laughs) right? So it's not like we're saying Beasley only gets the sloppy seconds or the leftovers. I would imagine that there's also going to be circumstances where in certain positions of the field where you have a certain down and distance or a certain down and goal or certain goal and distance that Beasley is going to be higher up on the reads yeah when i say one two three beasley i don't necessarily mean one read two read three read beasley beasley i might mean one two three seconds beasley like if we get to three seconds and i'm still in the pocket instead of breaking down and running i'm just gonna go okay i know where beasley's gonna be when i get to three when i get to three and it doesn't nothing else looks good i know where cole beasley's gonna be and i'm gonna throw in the ball okay if i were designing it because you've got verticality You've got John Brown and, and, and Robert Foster for verticality. It would be a shame if it looked like Nate Peterman. Yeah, so, right. yeah, I mean, friend of friend of the pod, Joe Marino, is harping all the time on his podcast, Locked on Bills, about spacing. He said he, he is a believer that spacing with John Brown and Robert Foster both on the team is, and you are nodding harder than I have ever seen you nod. Because it's absolutely that true. Spacing is going to change how this offense looks. Absolutely. You, you can't. If you take them off the field, you're you're just making it easier for the defense to defend you because it's blade of, blades of grass that they don't have to defend. If you're going to have a quarterback who's Josh Allen and the entire calling card of Josh Allen is you have to defend every blade of grass because if you think he can't make the throw, I hate to break it to you, he can. Madden throw power, 99. Like, dude can throw from the opposite hash on a deep out route and and put it there. If that's going to be your calling card and you've got that quarterback and you don't use it, immediate termination. You are terminated. Like, just <laughs> imme- do, do not pass go. Do not collect $100 because you're just neutering the skill set of the quarterback you took. This should not be a Fitzpatrick timing offense built around tunnel screens with Chan Gailey. This is not what this should look like. This should look like, dude... You better darn well know that every defense has a weakness. And you better hope we don't find what yours is because at any point in the play, Josh Allen can put the ball at any point on the field that you happen to have given up. You you sacrificed, you gave us this deep third or you gave us this corner route or you whatever it is as a defense that you agreed to give us, we can hit all of it. Ooh, that makes me jazzed up, man. Gonna... Mm. Take you down, bitch. 
You better not find we better not find out what your weakness is. That is an exciting that is an exciting prospect of an offense. Let me again try to repeat what I think I heard you say and, and make sure that I'm good. So we're gonna do the passing offense is chiefly it's going to at least include an awful lot of what we looked at last year, if you're calling the plays. Yes. How about the power running and the play action that you think is part of what Dable maybe prefers? Is that part of your deal too? That's what I would prefer. Now, when I say power running, I'm talking about a man gap scheme. You can do power running from a zone zone gap scheme too. Um, I don't think we have offensive linemen who are particularly bad at one of them. I don't think Joe Marino um, on his Twitter Tuesday, I think, of this week, was asked a really great question about whether or not the offensive lineman that we got this year kind of ties us to a specific blocking scheme, whether that has to be man gap or whether that has to be zone. And the answer is no. I don't think we have to run one thing. Now, Mitch Morse is a little on the lighter side, um, but you don't have to run zone with the offensive lineman we have. It's not like this is the old Denver Broncos, Dan Reeves, Mike Shanahan, Atlanta Falcons, zone-style scheme where all of your offensive linemen are in the high 280s and you have to reach block and you have to do inside-out zone and you have to do things like that. You don't have to do that with this offense. You can do that or you can do man-gap. So having a power running scheme is simply a, a direction of the types of plays you're calling. It's not necessarily the idea that you have to run a man gap. And what are the kinds of plays that you would be calling? You'd be calling a lot of runs inside the tackles. Is that a power running scheme? Yeah, you'd be calling that. You're not running a lot of misdirect. You're not the counters, right? There's not a lot of counters there. There's not a lot of long developing outside plays, right? It's a lot more. It's a lot more inside stuff. Is it the kind of like where they say hit your hole, like hit the hole and go? Yeah, I mean, you're utilizing a fullback. So Sean McVay ex- would be an example of like an outside zone guy. The entire offense is built around outside zone, which is one of the reasons why Henderson is such a great fit in the Rams offense. Because it, I'm, I hate to break it to you, I, I don't know if Gurley's going to be the dude like long term in, in, in Los Angeles because of the knee thing. And also because Henderson in an outside zone, the draft Knicks and I were literally salivating when the Rams got Henderson this year and we went, oh no, like that's, that's right up there with Ed Oliver going to the bills as a three technique, as far as fit to scheme. It's wonderful. So that's an example of an offense that's built around the outside zone. When you say man gap and out and zone scheme blocking, can you give us just real quick, what are you responsible for whenever you're a tackle guard center and it's the man gap? scheme there's a dude you need to block him and he's in your space you're responsible for a specific space that is a fixed area you're responsible for a guy you're responsible for a person for a person okay and what is the zone responsibility you're responsible for an area okay so i had him backwards okay so in the zone you are responsible for whoever winds up in front of you whenever you're going to this certain place you're going to run you know, 45, 30 degrees to the line of scrimmage, right? And if you encounter a guy at that spot, you might have to reach block for him, like literally reach. You can't see me, but I'm reaching, right? Because that guy is now in your system. And what you're doing is the the back is running at 45 or 30 degrees to the line of scrimmage. And because everyone's flowing one direction, that's either going to let him flow to the play side or ideally it's going to open a cutback lane for that running back. That's the idea of a zone the idea of a zone scheme is that. That's what okay. a zone scheme is. And then instead, the man 
gap scheme is you are responsible for a particular player based on where they line up. Yes. Okay. A question on vision for a running back. Does a running back need to have more or less vision depending on which offensive line scheme they're running behind, or is it pretty much identical? My personal opinion is that vision in a zone scheme is easier to manufacture. And the reason that is, is because it's longer developing. So it allows the running back a more time to make their call. And as a general rule, it gives you, it puts you farther back from the line of scrimmage when you get to make the call. My personal opinion is that running in a zone scheme allows you more time to make the call, which would allow you to have less of that trait and still pull it off. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I get it. I get it. And that's but, just a Bruce opinion based on yeah, yeah, what yeah. I'm looking at. Well, I, I think that could make sense too, because in a, again, I, your opinion, I'm just adhering to it, but when you're doing the man the man gap scheme and you are a running back i mean your guys are going you almost know where everybody is going to go right you you know where the what the guard is responsible for based on where the defense lined up so you kind of have a little bit of a preview as to how this is going to start but then you got to very quickly determine whether or not this guy's winning his battle or losing it is the linebacker going to get there or not and you don't have a whole lot of time to like see how it goes you kind of got to just like call your shot and go yeah absolutely okay all right cool well i'm not a dummy gold star for me i think that's it i think we made it through the sixth date yeah, I know. We we really got into some X's and O's, and again, that's not our forte. By design, we're a little bit of a different kind of pod, but I think that still really good information and enlightening, although I don't feel as though I totally understand everything Brian Dable believes and wants to do. I understand why I don't know that, and hopefully our listeners do as well. So thank you very much for coming along here at the sixth date with the Nick and Nolan show on Buffalo Rumblings. We loved having you along. We're so happy that we're going steady. And hey, I mean, now that this is kind of serious and we're going steady, don't you think it's kind of, you know, it would be easy. It'd be about time to go over to the iTunes and give us a five-star review and tell us a little bit about what you think about the relationship. I mean, we'd love to hear that. I, I, I always like being brought up to speed with what the other person's thinking. They should make it Facebook official. Yeah. I, you sh- it's, not, it's not complicated anymore. This is... No, uh, yeah, we're not in a complicated relationship. No, no, this, this is, is Facebook this, official. This is, pretty, this is pretty legit. So take a few minutes. Go over there. Give us a review. It helps us a lot. It is... I mean, we're not being facetious when we say that. That is legitimate. This is not just for our ego. It literally helps other people find the podcast. It helps people find the Buffalo Rumblings and listen to all of our peers like Matt Warren with Q&A and Anthony with Breaking Buffalo Rumblings, Circle the Wagons and Believe and Blitz. You get a little bit of everything with us. If you like what we're doing, please head over to the iTunes store. It's the sixth date. We're going steady. Leave us a five-star review and tell us what you think. Please. And as always, until next time. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha.
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.